Welcome to the podcast of Christ Covenant Church, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America, located in the township of Langley, British Columbia. My name is Gary Vanderveen, and I'm the senior pastor here. If you would like to know more about our congregation, please visit us online at www.langleychurch.org. I would say good morning loudly, and I, but uh, you can't respond. Good morning to you. Yeah, oh, that, I like that. I like that. Oh, that's good stuff. Okay, I, we do have some audience uh, interaction this morning. I like it. This Advent season, we've been exploring the Apostle John's introduction to his gospel in verses 1 through 18 of the first chapter. Today, our sermon text will be the very heart of this passage. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, John 1, 1 through 18 is actually a work of art. Did you notice the intentional literary structure in the entirety of the passage? This passage is what is called a chiasm. And there are a lot of people who get really excited about literary structures found in Scripture. And if you're one of those people, uh, you most likely already know what a chiasm is. And if you have never heard of a chiasm, uh, relax. It's what you need to know about a chiasm is that it's like an arrow. It is pointing to a primary message. A chiasm is like a funnel that's guiding you to a particular point. And the heart of John's introduction to his gospel here in verses 1 through 18 is verses 12 through 13. That's the point. That's where this arrow is pointing us to. To all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. This morning we're going to explore what God's trying to say to us here in this central message of our Advent text. Now, to rightly understand this passage, it will be helpful for us to make some observations from the whole of John 1, 1 through 18. And there are a lot of observations that we could make from John's introduction to his gospel, but the one observation that leaps from the text to my attention is the primacy and sheer amount of contrasts and comparisons in this passage. In verse 3, we have the creator and creation. In verses 4 to 5, we have light being compared to darkness, light versus darkness, light overcoming darkness. In verses 6 through 8, and again in verse 15, we have John, the Baptist, the witness contrasted to the true light. In verse 14, we have the divine word becomes flesh. In verse 17, we have the law being given through Moses on the two tablets. Yet God has, or yet grace and truth given through Jesus Christ. And in verse 18, we have the comparison, the contrast between our human inability to see God. And yet, God has revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus. And here in our particular passage... Verses 9 through 13, we have a handful of critical contrasts that we must observe, we must not miss. In verse 10, we see that the living word, the life and light of men, was in the world. This world that had been created through him, and yet, 
the world did not take notice. In verse 11, we see that the word of God, the the light and life of men, Jesus, pursued his own, came to his own, came to the people of Israel, and yet the children of Abraham, God's chosen people, did not receive him. And in verses 12 to 13, we have our central contrast point, the point of our chiasm, this really big but While the world and his people did not receive him, there are those who do. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And another subcontrast, another comparison, born not of blood or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Praise Christ for his glorious gospel. To all who receive Jesus, the word of God, the light and life of men, Jesus gives the right to become children of God. He gives them the right to be the true children of Abraham by faith. That's what's taught in Romans 9 and Galatians 3. Heirs of a promised home, the kingdom of God. A people blessed, whose enemies are accursed, who are blessed who will be a blessing to the nations. To all who receive Jesus, the word of God, the life and light of men, Jesus gives the right to become children of God, adopted heirs, co-heirs with Christ. As Paul states in Romans 8, did you catch all of what Paul said? Do you hear what I hear? That God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. Romans 8, 28. That the Holy Spirit is interceding for the children of God amidst their weakness. Verses 26 to 27. That Jesus himself intercedes for his beloved from the right hand of God. Verse 34. That death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, verses 38 to 39, in all things, tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness, danger or sword, in all of these things, the children of God are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Praise Christ for his glorious gospel. This is the capital R reality that we live in according to scripture. But do you feel like conquerors right now? I don't know about you. But there have been many, many times over these past nine months where I have felt like I was taking crazy pills or something. It feels like every day I hear something disturbing, something that tempts me to lose faith in humanity tempts me to lose hope for the future. I have found myself time and time again facing the temptation to give in to fear or despair as I watch a confusing world, as I watch what seems to me to be people doing what's right in their own eyes. 
our world, our nation, life is one confusing mess right now, is it not? Maybe you don't feel it. I think a lot of us do. I do. There's a lot of wreckage, especially right now. And God tells us, you know what? Everything is going to be okay. God is not unaware of what we are going through right now. Regardless, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what you particularly are facing at this time, no matter what the church or the world is facing, God is not asleep. We also don't have to pretend like everything's easy or simple. It's hard to feel victorious or like a conqueror when I can't even see half of you because of your tinted windows. Life is hard enough as it is. It comes fast, let alone when we are deprived of face-to-face Christian fellowship. I need a hug sometimes. It's difficult to be hopeful when the future seems to be in jeopardy. And all of their varied forms, trials are never pleasant to endure And we face a lot of challenges right now in our world. And all things work together for the good of those who love God. Here at the heart of John's gospel, we see a great contrast in verses 10 to 13. We see that chaos is actually the way of things. There are those who receive Jesus, the light and life of men, by the power of God and are grafted into the family of God as his children. And there are those who want nothing to do with Jesus. Scripture tells us that it's that black and white. I tell my wife often that there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who like mustard, like my wife. And there are those like me who want nothing to do with mustard. It is that black and white in my opinion. Scripture here tells us that we live in a world that is us and them. The world wants nothing to do with Jesus. We humans, bound by sin, want nothing to do with Jesus. And yet, by the grace of God, in the midst of humanity's proud rebellion against him and sin, by the grace of God, there are those who receive Jesus, who believe upon him, who are made children of God, transformed into children of God, not by blood or by the will of the flesh or the will of man, but by God. John reminds us here, this is the way of things. Sinners, sin. And sin steals and kills and destroys. And all of this craziness is to be expected, actually. Jesus himself told us in John 15, verses 18 to 19, If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, that's why the world hates you. And in John 16, 13, after telling the disciples of the difficulties that they would face for following him, he says, 
Look, I've told you all of this so that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Here in this text, particularly verses 10 to 13, the apostle wants us to see very clearly that there are those who reject Jesus and his way, who reject the light and life of men, and by God's grace, there are those who do not, who receive Jesus and become children of God. What does this mean for us today? December 13th, 2020. I'd have a hard time believing any of you if you would have told me that the world would look like this and feel the way that it does just a year ago. We now live in a COVID-19 world. We live in a country that calls in-person gatherings for Christian worship non-essential. We live in a divided and polarized civil and social climate where many desire to reset the very foundations of our society's governing principles. Many evils are called good. Righteousness is oft despised. Many give in to anxiety. Many are angry. Many manipulate and use people. There is much that we Christians rightly grieve. Yes, these, these verses remind us that we exist in an us and them world. And verses 12 to 13 remind us that God is not thwarted by those who reject him. In fact, salvation, redemption, light, and life triumph. There's one last thing that we need to observe in our text here. We must be careful not to miss. And it's this. We who have been made children of God, we are nothing special in and of ourselves. Where would we be if it was not for God's grace? Where would you be if it was not for God making you his child? I am ashamed and embarrassed to think about where I would be and what I would be doing if it was not for God's grace. So let us be biblically honest with ourselves. One of the truths that we see here in this passage is that if it was not for God's grace, we would be right there with all those who reject Jesus. This is one of the profound implications of verse 13. We are children of God, not because of our blood, not because of the will of a flesh, not because of the will of man, but because of God. If it wasn't for God's grace, we would reject light and life. We would be rejecting Jesus. You see, God's grace is not something that we've inherited. It's not something that we have pursued. It's not something that our inherent goodness has led us to. No, we are children of God solely by his grace. And Paul clearly explains this in Ephesians 2. We were dead in our sins. But God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive in Christ. 
It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. Now, these truths in this passage, this focal point of the chiasm, these help us re-envision how we interact with the brokenness in our world. John tells us we live in an us and them world. He tells us that God triumphs amidst those who reject him. He tells us that this is all grace. One of the great challenges that we face as Christians, particularly when we start to feel marginalized in any way, is a temptation to see ourselves at war with our neighbors. We are not at war with our neighbors. The scriptures clearly teach us that we live in an us and them world. But we must be diligent to resist the impulse to perceive ourselves against our neighbor. You see, scripture teaches that a godly mindset says, yes, the world is against Jesus. The world is against those who follow Jesus. Verses 10 and 11 clearly acknowledge this. But we, the children of God, are not at war with our neighbors. We are not at war with flesh and blood. We are at war with the spiritual forces of darkness. That's the teaching of Ephesians 6.12. With the devil. And with our flesh. And with the world, we are not so much at war with individuals, but with the corporate sin at work in the world, of which, of course, all sinners take part, even us. Yes, the world is against Jesus and against us. Yes, we are at war with spiritual forces of darkness, and we are called, saved for good works. We are called to be children so that we might be broken bread and poured out wine for the life of the world. To be little Christs. We're called to go out into all nations, making disciples of whom? Of heathens. That's the great commission in Matthew 28, 19. We are called to bear witness to the gospel, to be Christ's witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the call in Acts 1.8. We are blessed to be a blessing. That was the whole purpose of God's promise to Abraham. And that's reiterated in 1 Peter 3.9. You're blessed to be a blessing. While the world might be against Jesus, and against us, those who are by grace called to be his children. God calls us to be for the world, not us against them. Them against us, us for them, for Jesus. Creation groans with eager longing for the sons of God to be revealed. Now, in light of all this, verse 13 reminds us also that we need to be careful about presuming upon who might be interested and open to hearing the gospel. 
Every last one of us, if we allow ourselves to get really, truly honest, every last one of us is the least likely person to be part of God's kingdom. It is hard to swallow, but yes, I am the chief of sinners. You are too. Let us not forget that we are no more deserving of God's grace than the most wicked person you can think of. We don't like to think that way. We get arrogant, but that's the reality. And so we must be careful to not discriminate with regards to who we will bless and who we will share the gospel with. Let us sow, let us bear witness, not based on blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, not based on socioeconomic status or family of origin or race or religion or body odor or competence or capacity. I had a friend who used to say things like, man, if only Johnny Famous would become a Christian, that would transform our world. That, he would bear witness and man, the kingdom of God would grow. That type of thinking, that type of assumption and prejudice, that is enough to make us presume that Jane, the atheist neighbor, is a write-off. But no, God does not offer the right to become children of God based on natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man. The gospel is the great equalizer. We know not who God is calling to himself. We know not who is groaning for a son of God to be revealed to them. So let us bear witness to all, even those who are against us, to those foreign or repulsive to us. Perhaps the Lord will have mercy on them as he has on us. And lastly, dear brothers and sisters, our text reminds us this morning that amidst this broken world, wrecked by sin, amidst the wreckage, amidst the uncertainty and the temptation to doubt and fear, amidst the corruption of sin within ourselves also. God gives those who believe upon Jesus the right to become children of God. We have great cause to rejoice. Advent, the coming of God to redeem sinners. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If God's for us, who can be against us? God's working all things together, all things, COVID, you name it, all things together for good for those who love him. Brothers and sisters, do not forget that though our world crumbles and men slay us, if that were to happen, it's okay. Ours is a salvation that cannot and will not be taken away from us as we entrust ourselves to our faithful Savior, Jesus. It is God who has saved us. And this is an encouraging thought. For no man can take away from us what God alone has the authority over.
Yeah, we'll face tribulation. Of that, we ought to prepare ourselves, lest we be surprised by it. But we need not give in to fear, for we, the children of God, by his grace, are more than conquerors through him who's loved us. Christ has overcome the world. Let's pray.